0: A wild NBA draft lottery throws a complete wrench in the Anthony Davis trade scenarios. And Golden State takes down Portland
1: in Game 1 of the Western Conference Finals.
0: A lot to get to. It's the Wednesday Locked On NBA show. Let's go!
1: You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.
0: Oh boy, this is going to be a fun one. I already know, ahead of time, Wednesday Locked on NBA. I want to thank everybody for listening. All of you people who have downloaded the Himalaya podcast app and have subscribed. If you haven't, go ahead and do that. Everybody who's asked their smart speakers to play podcast Locked on NBA or any of the Locked on NBA shows, welcome aboard. Thanks for listening. We are your Wednesday Locked on NBA hosts. I'm John Corrales. I'm one of the hosts of the On Celtics podcast. I cover the Celtics for MassLive.com. You can find me on Twitter at RedsArmy underscore John. And
1: I'm Jake Madison, maybe the happiest person in the world right now outside of <laughs> David Griffin and Alvin Gentry, and I'm the host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. You can find me on Twitter. It's at Nola Jake. What do you have to be so happy about? Yeah, nothing, nothing at all. I just haven't been laughing like, like a supervillain maniacally for
0: the past couple of hours. What a night. What a night for the Pelicans. This is the one scenario in all of the things that we've talked about. The New Orleans Pelicans winning the lottery is not something that we considered. I'm sure you've talked about it on your show. Like, has it even come up in in passing?
1: You know, I've been asked about it a lot, like, what would this be like if the New Orleans Pelicans won the lottery? And, you know, my initial reaction is awesome. It's Zion Williamson, who you will draft, you know, the best prospect coming into the NBA since Anthony Davis, who was the best prospect since LeBron James. And the Pelicans have gotten really lucky in those years. But it's also always been an outside thing. This is a team that had a 6% chance that the number one overall pick somehow managed to defy the odds, which makes it seem like it still is isn't real and that this actually happened
0: two teams with six percent chances at the number one overall pick went one two the memphis grizzlies went two. they had a 6.3 percent chance of that happening uh and then they were followed by the new york knicks the los angeles lakers and the cleveland cavaliers in the top five so let's just look at the craziness, the lottery reform aspect of this, they changed the odds. You had four teams all in, in there with a good chance at uh, Well, way at three teams, all with equal chances at the top with 14%. They switched the odds around. And even with that, the way they evened out the odds, it's still, we saw what was it? Three teams jump. We yeah. saw the, uh, the Lakers, Jumped. They had a two percent chance or nine point four percent chance of landing in the top four, and they did. Uh, we saw the Memphis Grizzlies jump, the Pelicans jump. Only the Knicks, who were one of the three teams in the top at the top of the the odds for the number one pick, they were the only one that was still in that mix in the top four. So, Jake, let's just start with this: Is this the sign? That lottery reform is is taking hold and that just abject tanking to get to the worst record isn't necessarily going to be the way to go anymore. You know,
1: I don't want to go that far and say it, but I think this is a really interesting aspect with it because the NBA is undoubtedly going to try and position it this way. But it's rare that you have three teams defy the odds like that and jump up into the top four of what it is now. With the Lakers, who were originally slotted for 11, like you said, 9.4% chance. The New Orleans and Memphis, each with a 26.3% chance to jump up 6% overall. This isn't normally how this is going to go. You know, Cleveland and Phoenix have to feel awful about what happened dropping three spots. The Knicks dropping two have to feel bad, too. And if you simulate this a thousand times, it doesn't really break this way more often than not. But at the same point, don't. It shows you there's no need to only go out and try and win 17 games, 19 games. The one and two picks now are by teams that have won 33 games, nearly double that. And it shows you don't need to just put the worst product on the court. Try your best. And if you're bad, maybe things just kind of end up being how they're supposed to be.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how teams react to this. There might be a feeling that, well, this didn't change much and we're just going to keep doing what we do. Or... There might be a feeling like, like you said, you, you, can, you can tank, quote unquote, without blatantly losing. And there's a difference between rebuilding and tearing it down to the studs and saying, okay, we're, we have to trade away our good talent. Like we were talking about with your Pelicans or mostly with like the Grizzlies or, or other teams where we've, we've reached our peak. And now we have to trade these, we're going to trade these guys and we're going to get younger players and draft picks, which inherently means you're going to be bad, but we're still going to try to win games. That I think is the natural progression of good team down to bad team, building yourself back up to good team. That's fine. That happens everywhere. The, we have an okay team, but we're too close to winning. So we're going to sit our good players for crazy reasons and put our worst players out there to lose and improve our odds. That's something the league absolutely wants to eliminate. And they did at least take some kind of step towards that. When you see teams that were really, really bad dropping in, in this draft lottery, there's, there's at least A hint, a direction, an upturn where the league can hang their hat on.
1: Yeah, look, it's not going to be like a sea change because, again, if you just go by the odds and there's simple math that goes into this, this doesn't normally happen. This is a big outlier in what would be the norm, but maybe New York drops from the no, the one pick to the three, or from the one to the two, and that can have a big impact on things. And it shows, you know, that, you know, I think it kind of really impacts maybe the bottom three teams, and that's really it. But if it stops those teams from being just abject failures and putting a bad product on the court that then upsets your fans, and then you don't even get that number one overall pick, you can't feel really good about that. Look when teams shut down healthy, good players that pain fans don't get to see, and then you don't get the number one overall pick. If you're fans, you're ready to revolt. So at least throw out the players on the court, let the pain fans see them, and then don't get the number one overall pick. And it's not compounding in on itself in terms of like fan anger and fan disinterest.
0: Yeah, so this is really a small sample size, so we don't know yet. It's going to take a little bit of time, but for now, it's... Something that the NBA at least can go out and crow about and be like, "Look, we're fixing it. It's getting better." So, from that perspective, that's that's one thing to come out of this uh, NBA draft lottery. The other thing, there are other storylines, like Memphis getting the second pick, is is really important because it could make Mike Conley available if they decide to go with John Morant. And what happens with Conley? Does that end up making uh, a difference in other teams and and then making that trade. They also get to keep that pick. It was a top-eight protected pick. Now Boston still owns the Memphis pick for next year, which is top-six protected. So as we get ready to head into the break in a minute, that will tie into what Boston can offer for Anthony Davis. And that's still going to be a thing. But Memphis being at that high – and And having the opportunity to draft a potentially franchise changing changing player, it does make you wonder what they're going to do and then obviously the Knicks are at with the third pick with r j. Barrett are hoping that that becomes somebody that could be movable or maybe they keep him. That's an interesting place for the Knicks to be uh and then you've got to wonder with Cleveland at five and Phoenix at six, and Chicago at seven. Are there any players there that they really, really like, or are they going to try to make a move out of this draft? And it's going to be some interesting moving parts, I think, in the top ten. The, there are
1: so many stories that come out of the lottery, and it's unbelievable that the NBA has this product that's not even the actual draft but just setting the draft order that has this much drama and intrigue about it. Also, how is David Griffin maybe the luckiest person alive? I'm going to say this back to the Pelicans like all show. This is four lottery wins for him now that is unbelievable yeah it's unreal just the amount of luck that that guy has and yeah but again going back to it there are so many stories with this so not only is New Orleans now number one overall but now this impacts the AD trade market and we start to get a bit of a clearer picture on where he might end up because it's being reported and I can confirm this he still wants out of New Orleans and that's not changing with Zion Williamson and it's the middle of May there was a playoff game tonight that we're going to get to eventually but the other stories are so much bigger and look at what the nba has become
0: i know it's wild isn't it uh why don't we take a break and go ahead come back we'll talk about the anthony davis implications the playoff game we'll talk about in the third segment because really the warriors beat the blazers that's important but we kind of expected it what we didn't expect is the pelicans winning the draft lottery and throwing a complete throwing chaos into this anthony davis thing we got the right person to talk to about it in you, Jake. We're going to do it right after the break here in the Locked On NBA Podcast. I, as the Boston guy, have spent a significant amount of mental energy trying to figure out how the Celtics might get Anthony Davis. He's, we know he still wants out. And he's wanted out. The Celtics have been seen, had been seen, past tense, as possibly having the best package. But what we didn't expect, what I didn't expect, I didn't take into any consideration, not once, Jake, was the Pelicans winning and getting Zion on their own. So, my take, and you tell me if you agree, that changes the entire package of what the Pelicans will be looking for for Anthony Davis because now they have their star player. And the reason why the Celtics had such an enticing package was they could center it around Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown or both, and that was going to be the future star. But now you've got Zion. And now you're looking for some more complementary pieces. Now, all of a sudden, the talent, the picks, the whatever, it's going to be who fits around Zion. And that changes everything about who can trade for Anthony Davis right now.
1: Yeah, a a little bit. I I I think this is kind of, if you're a Pelicans fan, this is the best case scenario for the team. Jumping up, getting Zion Williamson number one overall so you don't need to move Anthony Davis for him, which was something that was going to be a very big legitimate possibility. But now I think the biggest thing that kind of changes the offer is more than getting Zion and wanting to put complementary pieces around him because I do think David Griffin is going to take the long-term outlook with this team. I don't know if they're going to necessarily try and jump right. Right back into playoff contention next year. They might have a team that gets them there, but I don't think they're going to be making a push to turn this into, you know, a title contending team right away. And I think they're still in that accumulate as many assets as possible and build for the future mindset. So. Because of the way this shook out with New York not getting number one overall, and it was reported on the ESPN broadcast before the lottery started, that they would not move the number one overall pick for Anthony Davis, and that Zion would be playing in Madison Square Garden if they got it. But three, you could move the third overall pick for Anthony Davis, certainly. The Lakers jumping up to four. They came close to getting Anthony Davis at the trade deadline, but their offer wasn't good enough. Does the... Number four overall pick now thrown into the mix with that changed things a little bit. And then you have Boston who's been the front runner for it, but I don't know if they are anymore. I think their package would have been centered around either Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, depending on which one the Pelicans like the most. But now there's going to be increased offers because of the way this lottery fell out. and if Boston really wants him and there's some Kyrie Irving stuff at stake with it too maybe they do need to include both of those guys and it just means the Pelicans are going to get more of a haul for Anthony Davis than they were going to get before the worst case scenario probably would have been New York jumping up to number one the Lakers not moving up enough the Pelicans not getting into the top four and the trade offers would have kind of dwindled down a little bit so maybe Boston can get away with only sending Brown or Tatum now they might need to include both if they want AD next season
0: yeah, I mean, I would think that that, that's necessary now and, and I don't know. It's interesting. Th- there's a report out tonight on Tuesday night as we record this that Danny Ainge feels like getting Anthony Davis is, makes Kyrie a lock to re-sign. Yeah. So that that still seems to be the case. And that is still their best case scenario. Uh, financially, the Celtics can't afford Kyrie to leave uh, because they're so they're, they're far enough over the tax where him opting out of 21.3 million doesn't get them below the luxury. I mean, b- below the salary cap, it doesn't get them any meaningful money at all. So they, they still have a lot of work to do if, Kyrie leaves, it's going to be hard to replace him. And it it, it may result in Terry Rozier coming back, which is going to be wild because Terry Rozier just went on ESPN all day on Tuesday and just laid wait. (laughs) He napalmed the Celtics basically. I mean, it was bad. And now, now I don't know why I'm not going to go listen, listen to me on the lockdown Celtics podcast. If you want my take on that, I I spent a lot of time on that, but, it's gonna be interesting to see if he comes back. Basically, the Celtics might be in a position where they they kind of have no choice but to give up Brown and Tatum. I think I think the the reason why that might work is you now have at least staggered salaries. And yes, I think that's an important from it's important from a cap perspective because Brown comes up first. And he's, after next season, going to be a restricted free agent. Tatum will be going into his third year. So you still got team options that you can mm-hmm. pick up on him. And then you add whatever picks. You throw in this year's picks, 14, whatever, the the Memphis pick, which is still under your control, top six protected next year, and then unprotected the year after that. So going back to what I said before, if the Grizzlies do trade Mike Conley and put all the eggs in the John Morant basket, well – It's going to take him a little while very valuable, very valuable because they'll probably keep it next year. Top six. And then it becomes unprotected two years later. That that's a big deal. Again, staggering salaries, because now you've got two years of Zion. You add a, a good rookie to that. You'll have a guy who will be productive on a rookie contract as Zion gets up for restricted free agency. That's how you build a franchise, especially
1: in a small market. This is, exactly. this is exactly what the Pelicans needed. So, to get it from the Pelicans' perspective, they are in position to right the wrongs and their sins under the Dell Demps era of the past seven, eight years. I, I know you're, you're gonna hate this because. No, I- I, know, I heard
0: you talk about this a lot in your podcast.
1: Yeah. With, with, with the Sixers, too, look at what they were able to do this year. That's a team, for whatever you think about the process, that had enough salary cap flexibility and assets that they traded for Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris within a month of each other, two months of each other. Those are two huge moves that they were able to make because they had guys on rookie deals and they built through the draft. New Orleans, instead of able to be putting a competitive team around Anthony Davis like this year and last year, tried to do it in the second and third year of his tenure, bloated their salary cap by trading away future first-round pick after future first-round pick, and eventually you just kind of kick the can down the road, and then you come back up to the can, and that's what happened and why he wanted out eventually. Now you have Zion Williamson on that rookie deal, and you can put other cheap guys around him so that when you feel it's time to strike and make a move... Four years from now, five years, maybe three if everything goes really well, you have the salary cap flexibility to do so. And I think that's the most important thing. You see which guys fit, which guys are your true core pieces. You move the ones that don't. You bring in the right pieces by then because these guys have developed. You know what you need to put around them. That's how you do it in a small market. You're not going to get big-name free agents that are going to come and sign here in New Orleans. It's a matter of fact. You've got to nail these picks. You've got to be smart with your salary cap. And now because of Zion and potentially getting another top four pick or Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, as you said, the staggered deals, you're in position to do so. And, oh, man, do you know how happy I'm going to be to not be trading future first round pick after future first round pick?
0: <laughs> I know. You're actually going to be getting picks. Um, yep. I, I think <laughs> so cool. It's going to be wild, right? Um, that is uh, – I think that's just a competent way – to build a franchise. And this is this is how a good team is built. Some of it is good planning, some of it is luck. Some of it is you turn bad luck into good luck. Like the Anthony Davis thing was the end. Like that was when it first happened, you start looking at what New Orleans was looking at. The the, the dysfunction, the all of the stuff with the training staff Oh, like, and, and it's oh remade entirely. David Griffin comes in. They
1: hire the Suns head trainer Eric. Aaron Nelson, who's going to remake the training staff top to bottom. If you're Anthony Davis, that should be what gets you to stay more than anything. But still, like, all of a sudden, this franchise went from being, I, I don't want to call them dysfunctional because they're not the Knicks, they're not the Suns, but they're one of the worst run in the league leading up to this Anthony Davis trade request, and they've somehow managed to almost completely turn it around in the span of like four months, partially due to luck, partially due to good hires too, and that turnaround is just unreal. And honestly, if you want some weird other universe, if AD waits to make his trade request this off season, which was the original plan, and because the team at the time was so bad in February when he decided he wanted out or late January, whenever it was, they might not fire Dell Demps. They might not hire David Griffin, they might not get Aaron Nelson, and Dell Dems probably trades their future first round pick away in the middle of the season to try and put more pieces around Anthony <laughs> Davis. And we are living in an alternate timeline where this is entirely different. It's just, uh, being the New Orleans guy, I, I don't want to hammer the point too hard. It's just unreal to me what's changed and how this team did uh, an entire 180 almost overnight.
0: Yeah, I mean, they still have to make the picks. They still have to yeah. make the trade. I mean, obviously, the pick's going to be Zion. Zion still has to work out. Yeah, there's still a lot of things that can go wrong. There's still a lot and unknowns and variables. Yes, entirely. But the promise is there. The roadmap is there. You've plugged your destination into Google Maps, and it is giving you a clear path with no red. It's right there. You just have to now get there, and it's it's impressive. It's very indicative of how fortunes change. Like I said, you need some luck. You need some good fortune. Well, that's the same thing as like, you need some good management is what I should say. You need a lot of things. You need a lot of things to work out in your favor. Uh, But this is, this is how it happens. Now. The next step is finding the right trade for Anthony Davis, which may still be Boston, but man, this puts so many other teams in the mix. It might be Denver. I feel like Denver becomes a much stronger possibility for the same reasons why Boston, the argument yep. that I just made with Boston, young players with staggering contracts, all of that stuff, it applies to more teams. The things that put Boston in the lead no longer put Boston in the lead. Yeah, I think it, I think it's much more wide open for Anthony yeah, Davis. It, that, that's another fact.
1: If you want two dark horses, I definitely think Denver. This is just speculation on my part on what the what the Pelicans would look to get for it. I'm not the Denver guy. I'm not the Toronto guy. But I think those are the two teams that kind of are dark horses that aren't in the lottery. That really maybe with and it depends on how Toronto's series goes. You know, maybe all of a sudden they feel they're so close, they decide to push their chips in and make a big move. And they have enough young guys on both those teams. Denver probably more so than Toronto that make a lot of sense and. David Griffin, when he was working for NBA TV and Sirius Radio before coming here, kind of laid out what he's looking for in an Anthony Davis trade. A young guy that you feel you can build around, that other star player. He doesn't have to be number one now. He can play number two to Zion, but you also want those role players that bring so much more to the team than their production on the court. Toronto's got those guys Denver has those guys too and if you're looking for that you can bring them in too so uh, you know if, if you look at winners of the lottery New Orleans obviously being the biggest one because they got the number one overall pick but the trade options it opens up for Anthony Davis that were potentially either closed or not going to be there it's just uh, this went about as well for New Orleans as it could have and for Boston they're kind of on the losing end of this because things just didn't break their way and now this AD race is
0: kind of wide open Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, that's how it goes. That's that's how it goes. Things, life does not care about your plans, not mine, not yours, not Danny Ainge's. So we'll see what happens. We're gonna take a break. We're gonna come back with oh, basketball. They played. there's, There's a
1: game played.
0: The first game of the Western Conference Finals was played. We'll talk about that when we come back on the Locked On NBA Podcast. Game one of the Western Conference Finals on Tuesday night, 116-94, Warriors over the Blazers. It was a tight game, uh tighter than I expected, to be honest with you. The the Blazers really, really hung tough. The Warriors, I mean, they they got their usual performances. Uh Steph Curry, nine of fifteen from three. <laughs> Just a funny number. Oh, nine
1: boy. of 15. We, we, we got something to talk about with that and the and the Blazers defense there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Too shy of the uh the record held by his teammate Clay Thompson, who uh was three of nine from three, they combined for 62 of the Warriors' 116 points, why don't we start there? Uh, the 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 Blazers didn't exactly make life difficult for Curry uh, on pick and rolls. They dropped the, every time. They like it's Steph Curry. Like I get it. Like well, protect the rim. It, but you know, uh, is it so much
1: that it's Curry or that it's Cantor in this case? Like. I guess it can be both.
0: I, they, I, I, they did it with. They didn't do it with just Cantor. No, they that's did it. They true. did it with Collins. They did it with everybody. That that was just their strategy was to drop on the pick and rolls, and that's just not with Curry. You just can't do that with Curry. Like it, I saw it, it with. Was so weird. Like
1: I'm with you. Like. You know, with Cantor, like, what are you supposed to do? You put him out on the perimeter and he's going to get smoked. It's as simple as that. Like, this is a dude who's been a very bad defender his whole career and got lucky in that first round matchup against the Oklahoma City Thunder with Westbrook not being himself, with Paul George not being himself. And he actually looked like an adequate defender in that series. And then you put him in here and it's like, no, he's almost unplayable at times defensively at least.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's to be expected. Like, we knew yeah. coming in that Cantor, the like Cantor had a great series against the Nuggets. And, and we say great, maybe with a little bit of, we didn't expect anything and he was, he wasn't bad. And so he, he gutted out that he was hurt, his shoulders falling off, all that stuff. I mean, he, he was really very impressive in that series. This is just very difficult for him. It's not the right matchup. It's a bad matchup for him, but you still can't, do drop pick and roll coverage. Like, not with Curry, mostly because Curry's release is just too fast. Like, I saw the drop pick and roll coverage in game one Celtics bucks where the Celtics killed it. But what, what they did was they chase over the top to really discourage you shooting the three. And what they hope to do with the drop is entice you to Go three steps in and take a free-throw line jumper, which if that was the plan and that was the hope, I get it that you want Curry shooting those shots. If you want Curry shooting any shot, it's long mid-range jumpers because he, he can hit, all, hit those all day and at least not bury you like he did from three. The problem is that Curry's release is faster than anybody's, and once he comes around that pick – you can't chase around the top fast enough. He just turns, fires that ball is out of his hand before you come around that pick. You gotta, you gotta go. You gotta get some other way. You gotta blitz him. Really, what you have to do is not play canter. You you might have to play like super super small, and even like like a minu. At center, Like, you have to, like, do something crazy. It's an
1: interesting thing to try, certainly. I mean, put it this way. You've got to do something else. I don't know if it means Zach Collins should start. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be the answer there, though. I think he's played well for him in the playoffs. But, like, they're in a no-win situation. You put Cantor out there on the perimeter. He gets smoked. You drop, and Curry shoots threes. Like, what are you supposed to do? It's no. also the Warriors. This is what they do to teams where there's just no good – answer for him, and you're going to have nights like this where Steph Curry, as you said, goes 9 of 15 uh, from 3 and puts up 36 points and makes it look super
0: easy. So, you but know. Here, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Here's here's the problem with, with why I don't like t- this, this defensive coverage in this game. Because games 1 and 2 are your chances without Durant to take Curry out of the game. And the way you take Curry out of the game is you blitz him on the pick and rolls. And even if you have Clay Thompson going off, you can still blitz Curry and get back because what are the other options? Dr- Draymond from three. Okay, fine. Igu- Iguodala from three. Live with that. Kevon Looney. I mean, you got Jordan Bell, Quinn Cook out there. Like this is your chance in games 1 and 2 without Durant to do something extreme take Curry out of those games and then when Durant comes back you change your game plan i think this usually this game one feel out game type of thing they they needed to be a little bit more aggressive portland in in taking curry out of this letting him go 9 for 15 from 3 is inexcusable in that the way they covered him and allowed him to do that just that's If they did what I say, if they blitzed him and he still broke free and and hit the shots, fine, then you're screwed. But I feel like it's a missed opportunity for the Blazers, who are are already coming into this thinking that they're going to get swept. Not they, but we thinking that they're going to get swept.
1: Yeah, or or like a five-game series. You mentioned the aggression point, and I think that's pretty interesting because look at the offensive side of the ball for him. Damian Lillard went 4-12 of on the night for 19 points which those numbers look great he did get to the line nine times that's part of it but man in this series he probably needs to be taking more than 12 shots a game the same as Mo Harkless who went seven for 12 and finished with 17 like that's not gonna win you very many games I thought that Golden State did a really good job defending him getting the ball out of his hands but they need to find a way to manufacture shots for him otherwise they're just cooked
0: yeah that it's got to be the old formula for them. It's got to be Dame. It's got to be CJ. And CJ did better. Uh, I mean, just take the did, 19 yeah. shots. Yeah, but, I mean, neither, neither guy was great. When you get 17 from McCollum and 19 from Lillard, or from a Warriors perspective, when you hold those guys both under 20, that's a big, big win. And they were both, like, CJ was a minus 20 on the night, the worst plus minus of the team. I think... That's a big, big win. The Warriors are obviously a very good defensive team, and they have schemes to to hold these guys in check. But this is where those guys especially need to step up. They got a good game from Rodney Hood, I thought. Yeah, he, he was, they did. He was, and, and, you know, shout-out to Rodney Hood. Everybody yeah. keeps talking about it, but, like, he was really, really bad last year. And, and him finding his way in Portland – is another example of how situation matters and comfort matters. But anyway, um, it's got to be Dame and McCollum. You you need those two guys to be the guys, and and everybody else has to feed off of that. For Portland, I don't think you play Cantor at all, not one minute in game two. You find ways to get McCollum and Lillard going, uh, whatever it is, screen, -screen. rescreen. They love to do the rescreens. Um, keep going to that, and then find a way to blitz uh, Steph, and, and just hope for the best, and hope that the other Curry doesn't shoot one for seven, and can give you something off the bench, and that maybe Evan Turner can give you something off the bench. But um, yeah, it's it's really it's a tough ask, but this this has to be it for for the Blazers if they're going to have any shot at pulling off a miracle. They've got to win Game Two without Durant. And, and that's what it's going to take. Yeoman effort, superstar effort from Lillard, McCollum in a supporting role, and find a way to get the ball out of Curry's hands.
1: Yeah, I, no, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. And they, they, they need to get it to McCollum and Lillard. It's simple, simple as that. Look, they shot 36.1% in this game and 25% from deep. You're not going to. Mm beat the Warriors if that happens at all also they turned the ball over 21 times which ended up in 31 points for Golden State like everything went poorly for them part of it's due to that that defense by Golden State and look they stuck to Lillard forced the ball out of his hands and when any of those guys were shooting it's well contested like it's not kind of a surprise when you watch this game that they shot so poorly but You got got to do something right, and Portland didn't do a whole lot of anything right in this one, other than maybe Rodney Hood, who was probably their best player in that game, and he's coming off the bench doing it where maybe they have a chance to at least have somewhat of an advantage. But when you're letting guys like um, Quinn Cook put up eight, uh, Trebeko putting up nine, like you're – I don't know. It's like, look, we all thought this was going to be a four- or five-game series, and maybe it's just like, yeah, it's going to be a four- or five-game series.
0: Right, right. I mean – There are things that Portland needs to do and in all of this, all of this mental energy that we just spent, they could do everything that we said and it still might not matter. So (laughs) that's, that's just what the situation is for these guys. Uh, so we'll see, we'll see what they do in game two. The next game for the NBA is tonight, Wednesday night, game one of the Eastern Conference Finals, Bucks and Raptors. David Locke will be here to talk about that and much more in the NBA. On the Thursday Locked On NBA podcast, as always, I'm one of your Wednesday hosts, John Corrales of the Locked On Celtics podcast. You can find me on Twitter at at Red's Army underscore John.
1: I know you're so excited for me in the lottery. You're just forgetting your name and your Twitter Forget, handle. Who I am. <laughs> yeah, I'm and, I, and I'm Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. You can find me on Twitter. It's at Nola Jake.
0: Remember, all you new listeners, hope you're enjoying this Locked On NBA national show. Subscribe, download the new Himalaya podcast app, or find us everywhere podcasts exist. Ask your smart speaker, smart device in your car to play podcast Locked On NBA or Locked On Celtics or Locked On Pelicans. We've got a lot to talk about in the upcoming weeks. And subscribe if you're a new listener or... If you're a regular listener, give us that five-star rating. A good written review helps us a lot in the podcast ratings game. That's it. We'll talk to you next time. This has been the Locked On NBA Podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network.